So a little bit of reflection on the third way of establishing mindfulness, the contemplation of mind. And just bearing, remembering even as we have been going through these sequentially, there's nothing sequential about how they actually operate. These are actually very fluid, interactive awarenesses. Um, take a moment just now, uh, just tune in, listen inwardly. What is the state of your mind just now? What is your mood just now? Contracted, spacious, dull, bright, agitated, aversive, calm. Do you know? Vedanas can be quite powerful uh, triggers, foundations for moods to arise. An unpleasant thought, or an unpleasant sensation, or unpleasant sound can trigger a mood. A mood also creates Vedanas, shapes Vedanas. You know, if I'm in a particularly grumpy mood, there's a lot of unpleasantness around. You know, if I'm in a particularly bright mood, you know, generous mood, there's a lot of loveliness around, Vedana tones. So what we're actually doing in this contemplation is being aware that there is always a mental state, a state of mind, there is always a mood in every every waking moment and indeed even in our sleep. So these are like weather patterns. Some of them are just very fleeting visitors. Some of them are very repetitive. And actually, if you repeat a mood often enough, it becomes a pattern. It becomes a habit and indeed very much gets built into an identity. You know? I'm, I'm such, a, such a sort of a dull person, you know, I'm such an aversive person, I'm such a type. So many of them are very familiar visitors, we know them well. Some of the moods we experience have a flavor of being quite lovely, delightful. Some of them have a flavor of being quite unlovely, unwelcome, unpleasant moods. Whether lovely or unlovely, our moods, our states of mind, have a profound effect upon how we move through our world. We see the world through the lens of our moods. We interpret the world through the lens of our moods. And we react to the world through the lens of our moods. Moment by moment. Shapes our choices. Shapes our actions. Shapes how we respond. So, what do we do? We learn we are not uh, needing to be uh, captive of our moods. As we've spoken about earlier in the retreat, one of the lessons of this practice is actually to give more authority 
to our intentions than to the prevailing mood of the moment. You see this in the sitting practice, in the walking practice, how we learn to walk through our moods, how we learn to sit with our moods. We put them on the cushion beside us and say, that's fine, there's room for you here, but just because I have an agitated mood, I don't need to go running out of the hall. In our walking, that there's room for you here, mood, whatever you are. But just because I'm, I'm aversive or anxious doesn't mean I have to do a, a duvet dive. I introduced this phrase on a group yesterday. It's not an American phrase, is it? A duvet dive. It's a great one. Uh, you have duvets here? You know what a duvet is? Yeah, okay, a duvet dive is what you know what it is now? You hide under the duvet, you know, this is my place of safety. So we're learning to actually give far more value to our our intentions and our moods, but we become curious, as we do with all things, uh, about what the mood of the moment is, because it can shape everything. You know, and I think in a practical sense it's it's quite useful when you sit down on your chair or cushion to ask of yourself, what is the mood just now? What is the state of mind right now? If I'm feeling particularly sort of dull or indifferent, how is your sitting going to unfold if you don't actually acknowledge that that mood is there? If you sit down and the mood is, is quite agitated, how is your sitting going to unfold? in the absence of awareness. How will your walking unfold? What will happen at the end of a sitting? Say if the mood is quite agitated or aversive, we're not aware of that. What will happen at the end of a sitting? Will you arrive at your walking path? So our moods are so so very powerful and they are productive. I think in my experience was helpful to notice is that when there are unhelpful moods present, and there's a whole lot of unhelpful moods. Um, I won't do the whole list. We could be here all morning. But there, there are a whole lot of unhelpful moods, mind states, states of mind, You know, whether it's aversion, contractedness, agitation, anxiety, um, in a boredom, contractedness. You know, so many unhelpful moods. But you will notice that the unhelpful moods are far more productive in terms of thought than the helpful moods. And there's a lot of really lovely states of mind. You know, and there's much encouragement actually in the practice. We are actually cultivating lovely states of mind. Peacefulness, calm, quietude, stillness, generosity, carefulness, Caring, tenderness, there's so many lovely states of mind, but they they don't generate a lot of story until another mood comes in. You know, you could have a, a mood that's quite spacious and calm. It's not much. You know, you're not sitting there wondering, uh, I wonder how that happened, and you know, what does that mean? Until say another mood comes in, you know, doubt, and then it's a story. But you will notice that unhelpful states of mind tend to be big narrative producers. The bigger the mood, the bigger the narrative. Hmm? Think of an aversive state of mind, 
and what it produces, or an anxious state of mind, and what it produces, you know, an unsettled state of mind, and how much narrative is actually born of the mood. So we're learning to be aware of the mood of the moment. You know, sometimes people, uh, I, I think, you know, we, we learn to aim the fire extinguisher at the base of the fire, you know, rather than really running around in our narratives and stories. Just a little bit of inquiry about what is the mood that underlies this. What is the mood that underlies this? So <laughs> we see what happens is that when... You know, what we contact, we feel, what we feel, we think about, we think about, we proliferate about, it becomes the shape of our mind. So we start to develop, I think helpfully, some literacy inwardly about the mood of the moment. Hmm? Ah, agitation. That's what agitation looks like. Ah, fearfulness. Ah. That's what fearfulness looks like. Ah, contractedness. Ah, that's what contractedness looks like. So we start to develop some literacy inwardly through through questioning. And this is so helpful because without that literacy, we tend to launch right into the narrative building. If we have the literacy to know a mood as a mood, and this is the ongoing instruction in the Satipatthana, to know a mood as a mood, not who I am, not a definition of myself, not a definition of the world, to know a mood as a mood. But if we begin to develop the literacy, we can become curious about that mind state. It becomes an object of mindfulness rather than a governing feature. Ah, this is the mood or the mind state of agitation. So without mindfulness, we jump into the story with awareness, we actually are curious about the mood. Ah, what does agitation feel like? Ah, how do I know this? How do I know this in the body? How do I know this in through my actions or through my thoughts? But how do I know this in the body? What does agitation feel like? What does anxiety feel like? What does contractedness or dullness feel like? We also do this with the lovely, by the way. Ah, this is a taste of spaciousness. Ah, this is a taste of peacefulness. This is a taste of stillness. And this too we explore, uh, the, the landscape of it. Because we see without that literacy that particularly with the unhelpful states of mind, you know, they, they produce a great deal of thinking um, that impacts upon the body. You know, th- say the mood is one of aversion, you know. So it starts to generate the aversive story. And do you know what the aversive body feels like? Yeah. This actually comes back to impact on the body. So the, the mood is actually, and the thoughts are actually sending messages to the body, and then the body is actually sending messages to the mind. Think about dullness, you know. You're sitting with dullness. Well, what kind of message does the mood of dullness send to the body? You know, collapse, you know. And actually then that collapse sends messages further back to the mind, and the dullness deepens. It's why we don't have reclining chairs in here. <laughs> you know? 
We want to be sending a different message back to the mind than let's just check out here. So, so without awareness, uh, the the mood tends to gen- unhelpful moods generate a lot of narrative. They feed back into the body. That the stories feed back to deepen the mood. I mean, this is very clear, you know, in in things like depression, where rumination will feed back to deepen the depressive mood, uh, the low mood, but in all other states also. So the, the the mood will generate a lot of thinking. The thinking feeds back to ge- to deepen the mood. It, in, the body gets implicated in in that kind of building and deepening of the mood. And you go around that loop a few times, and something else gets added to the mix of self view. You know, I'm such a dull person. You know, I'm an aversive type. You know, I'm an anxious type. The moment that that gets added into the mix, you know, we can feel quite helpless. We can feel quite helpless. So there's a number of, I think, places of investigation here as we begin to approach this domain of moods. And again, we are not turning this into a project. First, developing the literacy to know a mood as a mood, but to know the mood as the mood of the moment. The mood of the moment. We begin to discern... This is important. Discern what is helpful and unhelpful in our moods. Because moods are also habit patterns. What is helpful and what is unhelpful. It's not right or wrong, good moods or bad moods. It's about what leads to distress and what leads to the end of distress. We begin to learn to, to have the sensitivity to begin to pick up the clues of the mood of the moment. You know, if you find yourself jumping off your cushion at the end of a sitting and, you know, you're at a cup of tea before you even know how you got there, there is a mood going on, you know. We begin to pick up the clues through how our bodies move, through the choices we make. If you find that there's a continuum, of, a, a thinking that has a continuum of a particular emotional tone, you know, that, that you're ruminating on, on aversion or, or wanting or anxiety, you know, when the thoughts are carrying, I mean, if you're doing a lot of planning, you know, if you're doing a lot of rehearsing, if you're doing a, a lot of fantasy, you know, you're pretty sure there is a mood underlying that. If you're doing a lot of storytelling that's having the same kind of emotional flavor, look underneath it. What is the mood that is supporting this? Um, being aware that we practice moods. They don't just happen to us. We practice moods. As we practice something in every moment, we also practice our moods. And we can get really good at practicing our moods, you know. Uh, you know, let me be an aversive, you know, let me just practice aversion. It is so easy, you know. Uh, so we practice our moods. This is good to know. So we learn actually to follow some different pathways. We become curious. We begin to sense the mood of the moment. We begin to po- cultivate a lot of pause moments, particularly when there's any sense of urgency, when there's a sense of compulsion, when there's a sense of uh, a kind of an automatic movement, we begin to cultivate a lot of pause moments to ask ourselves, you know, what is the mood that lies 
before our speech, before our, our movements, before our stories? What is the mood that is present here? We begin to actually really investigate this often in the body. But we're learning actually to hold this, this investigation, you know, as a curiosity and as a moment-to-moment curiosity because our moods shape our world. Sometimes we don't see the world. All we see is our moods. There's also the cultivation of the lovely, which we're engaged in here, by the way. It's great. So, again, not making a project out of this, but as with Vedana, you know, for anything to come into the field of our awareness, it needs some intention, um, it needs that curiosity. So there are places of pausing, you know, at the beginning of a sitting, at the end of a sitting, beginning of a walking path, end of a walking path. Look at the transitions in a day, you know. Look at the many transitions in a day of beginnings and endings. You know, you're standing in the lunch line, you're brushing your teeth, you know, you're dressing, you're in your work, in your yogi job. You know, a lot of uh, little pause moments just to, to bring this into the, the forefront of our awareness of, you know, what is the mood just now? What is the mental state just now? Because we know that our thinking and our actions and our speech are actually going to be flavored by that mood. You, know, you don't have aversive moods and a lot of kind thinking. So just developing those pause moments and transition moments can be really helpful in this. You know? Just a simple question. You know? Don't make it into a, a big investigation. Sometimes you might not really know. You know, because moods are not always singular. They can have a lot, a number of sometimes different flavors built into a mood. So just those little pause moments I would suggest in transitions. Just say, ah, it's the mood of the moment. Let's be curious about this because this builds our world. This builds our world. So let's take some time to sit, finding our posture an embodied, intentional posture of alertness, groundedness, wakefulness. And as you settle into the body, and settle into this moment, Just take in a moment of pause, just to have a sense of the shape of the mind, the mood of the moment. And whatever the mind state might be, as we place an intention at the forefront of what guides us, Cultivating wakefulness, calming, stilling, brightening. Mindful of the quietude, the sounds. Feeling 
the aliveness of the body just now, the landscape of fluidity, of changing sensations. Mindful of the fluidity within the mind, the thoughts, the images that arise, so allowing them to pass. Mindful of the fluidity, the process of the body breathing. Attuning ourselves to that process, sensing from within. Sensing how the attention can shift to something more predominant, a thought, a sensation, a sound, a knowing, an allowing, an embracing, a touching with mindfulness and kindness, and a returning to the body of this moment.
one of my favorite teachings from Lao Tzu. The ancient masters were profound and subtle. Their wisdom was unfathomable. There is no way to describe it. All we can describe is their appearance. They were careful as someone crossing an iced over stream, alert as a warrior in enemy territory, courteous as a guest, fluid as melting ice, shapeable as a block of wood, receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. These are great instructions for today. Today is an ordinary day. Today is just an everyday, normal day of having this chance to contemplate, really treasuring the conditions that we find ourselves in here. We will do our best. We can't control the whole thing, but we will do our best to make sure that nothing happens today. Your job is to accept that invitation and to move seamlessly from sitting to walking, sitting to walking, looking at the gaps, looking at what you never do, you know, which is out of the question, but which you think you could dare or risk or move into, looking at what you always do and looking to see whether perhaps you don't want to anymore or even even need to so this kind of a, of a beautiful exploration throughout the day um you know in a way it's 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 just stretching out from um in front of us and it has this sense of day you know this concept of day and from another point of view always always it's one moment at a time, life unfolding, wisdom and compassion unfolding in alignment with life. So really, truly have a wonderful day, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or challenging or, or um, easy. You know, have a wonderful day. This is the Dharma. I um, also just wanted to mention that... Uh, Interview groups continue today, and if you didn't have an interview group yesterday, you're definitely on the list for today, so check that out and make sure that you come on time. And um, (laughs) I love this duvet dive. This is a new one. (laughs) Refraining from duvet diving (laughs) throughout the day. And check the bulletin board, come... Um, make sure, just the reminder again, to let those of you who are in groups leave first for this first group. And um, also just to mention that uh, 
this is the last day of mindful movement with Eowyn, and we want to express our gratitude to her. Today there is both the chair um, mindful movement and the downstairs mindful movement, just, just so that you know that this is the last day of that. All right, but it's not the last day of anything. This is, um, <laughs> we're right in the middle right now, so... Enjoy, enjoy the practice, enjoy awareness. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.